Welcome to the Menopause Unplugged podcast with me, your host, Nikki Oliveira. On this podcast, we will hear from women who are navigating the challenging and transformative journey of perimenopause and menopause. These women have graciously agreed to share their stories and insights, offering a raw and honest glimpse into what it's like to go through this major life transition. From hot flushes to rediscovering themselves, our guests will provide a wealth of knowledge and inspiration for anyone who's going through or will go through menopause. So grab a cup of tea, settle in and join us for a fascinating and enlightening discussion. Hello and welcome to the Menopause Unplugged podcast with me, your host, Nikki Oliveira. Today in the studio, we have the lovely Victoria. How are you doing, Victoria? Okay? Great, thank you. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for joining. Um, so Victoria's story is a little bit different in terms of uh, Victoria actually went into menopause surgically um, after an operation. So Victoria, do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So I had sort of 18 procedures leading up to the age of 33. And that was for endometriosis um, and adenomyosis. Um, And then when I got to 33, they started to have the conversation about having a hysterectomy. I'd already had one ovary removed before that, but everything I'd had done hadn't worked. Um, So actually, they put me on to something called Zolidex, which pushed me into a medical menopause for six months. Um, And that got my body ready for the hysterectomy. Um, And that was kind of rough. I didn't really know what was happening. They just said I would have a few hot flushes, maybe my hair would fall out. But ultimately, the goal was hysterectomy, get well, like new life amazing after all of these obviously surgeries and all the pain I'd been in Mm. Um, and I just turned 34 and I had my hysterectomy and that pushed me straight into immediately surgical menopause um, which hits as soon as you have your ovaries removed there's no going back after that Um, but again nobody kind of sat me down and spoke to me about it so the word menopause for me didn't really ring in my own brain until probably a couple of years later mm. um, after that surgery because I was just kind of pushing through and getting on with things until I couldn't anymore. Um, but officially, I went into surgical menopause that way. Right. So what kind of symptoms then did you experience? Yeah, so my symptoms hit quite quickly afterwards, and a lot of this was reflections. Mm-hmm. Um I just kind of thought it was post-surgery stuff that was happening so I would feel very down um I would describe it as almost like baby blues for anybody that has um had a baby one day I'd be up the next minute I'd be on the floor crying um I got a lot I got very hot very quickly um and I wasn't sleeping particularly well Um, and then my kind of joints and parts of my body ached and it was really weird because I'd gone from all of this pain of living and and being kind of not in control of the pain, but kind of owning the pain of endometriosis sure. to suddenly like, oh, what are these aches and pains that I've got? And kind of my joints and legs would hurt, my back would hurt. Mm. And I just thought that I, it was kind of, again, post-surgery or things that maybe my body had done before, but... I'd never really felt them because the pain was so conditioned to my pelvic area. Um, So those were sort of the first things that happened. And then slowly the mental symptoms for me 
kicked Mm -hmm. in um, probably about 10 to 12 months after my surgery um, and then slowly got worse within that almost second year of recovery Um, and they were the they were the symptoms that really tripped me up the low moods no confidence um depression anxiety yeah oh my goodness yeah so you'd really just gone through it all in quite a number of stages then really yeah yeah definitely it felt like it was kind of I was up one minute then I was down then I was up and although I was actually on HRT um when I came out of hospital I didn't know at the time not until four years later actually after my surgery that I didn't absorb HRT at all any of the estrogen that they'd given me I wasn't absorbing it which is why I was having these just mass fluctuations of kind of um feeling okay and then feeling through the floor wow okay so how long after then so for quite a while then between having your surgery and going back to your doctor I'd imagine and and saying this is how you're feeling right yeah, so I'd had a conversation with my doctor in saying I don't think something is right and they just quit, they just changed me. I was on tablet HRT and they just changed me from that to estrogen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it wasn't until actually I was in therapy two years later following a huge um, bout of depression. I was suicidal and it was my therapist that said this is related to your surgical menopause and that was the first time that I was like oh menopause surgical everything you know like nobody had sat me down before um and that's when I started to research and then I started to have more open conversations with my doctor me leading those conversations and I was put onto estrogen gel at that point but yeah that was two years after oh wow that is shocking um shocking that you've had to obviously suffer and find that out for yourself really yeah it was really hard and I think at the time you're just in that space of I just want to feel like me again and I just you know I I completely lost myself I think that's a really common term within menopausal women whatever type of menopause you have that's something I hear all the time um, in the work that I do but is I feel like I've lost myself um, or I was losing my mind you know that's that's what it was so to have that validation that it wasn't me that it was my hormones was kind of like liberating and helped me to kind of then have a focus so it was very self-driven and it kind of put that fire back in my belly to go right now I need to can take control of me and then once I started to get myself well it was like oh now the anger's kicking in in a bit um this is not acceptable and that's when of course I started to advocate for others yes absolutely so were there any other particular challenges then that you faced during these obviously many years leading up to this point yeah so I think over the last few uh well the the last you know five six years now as it's coming up to there's been symptoms that have been on and off I think um vaginal atrophy um although I haven't got full-blown vaginal atrophy vaginal dryness was quite a a difficult symptom I think after having um endometriosis if anyone's listening that's had it will understand the trials and tribulations that you have with your sex life so after my surgery I was like oh yeah this is going to be amazing so when that started to kick in I was like oh god you know and I'm feeling just so much older in my body I think 
that's something that I do still struggle with now I think you know I feel I just feel sometimes I wake up and I think I just don't feel like a millennial (laughs) like it's um yeah so that that can still be a struggle um but it's I think it's learning to what dosages work for you learning other things that help it's not just HRT it's totally holistic you've got to look at mind body and soul and Mm. that's a ride because you know sometimes we're on a high and then other days my mental health can still be on the floor yeah absolutely I look completely oh my goodness it's just so much it's it's a lot isn't it to take in so on that um basis of mind body and soul um lifestyle changes and you must have had to make quite a few you know changes just to support like your menopausal journey yeah I think the first thing the first big change for me was therapy um because that was the real turning point so um and I always say if I could kind of explore all the therapies in the world and just blog about it I would (laughs) you know somebody pay me to just get a therapy um and I think people shy away from that but that was a big um a big change for me because it helped me really acknowledge and and kind of go back and realize what was happening um so and that was cognitive behavioral therapy that I did um but with regards to kind of lifestyle I think it goes from anything from journaling. Journaling was one of the first things that I did. So just purging everything that was in my mind. I think it's it's really important when you're experiencing brain fog because mine was <laughs> horrific. I forgot my friend's name once and her name is Victoria, which is my name. How on earth does that happen? But that's how severe sometimes it can, it can be. Yeah. So having a strategy to help with simple day-to-day tasks like but and, and doing it like journaling, not mm. you know purging your thoughts, but actually just writing down um, little bullet points of what you need to do. Um, that was a lifestyle change that massively impacted me positively, mm-hmm. and I still I still do it every day now. I take my journal everywhere with me, um, and then just trying new things. So when confidence is really low, I wanted to try new things to get my body moving. So. Mm-hmm. I started lifting weights. I'd never really done that before. I was, I ran on the morning of my surgery. I was a big HIIT workout fan. Um, I don't dare touch HIIT now. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I started yoga. I started kind of doing those more slower but strength training exercises, which feel so much stronger for my body. Yeah. Um, and I was always quite into meditation anyway, but I certainly have practiced mindfulness more um, mm-hmm. because that's massively helped anxiety um, as well. But it, it's it's trial and error. You know, I've tried a spin class. I hated it, but I'll dance in my kitchen. Um, yeah. I love it, what I take supplement wise. Um, and of course, going into what your soul needs as well, not forgetting that. I think that's really important to listen to your inner self and, and mm. kind of find because this is a new way of living, you know. Lots of pieces of the jigsaw, I think. I think so, yeah. And um like you said, it's not just a case of going on HRT and everything's fixed because you've just got to look at absolutely everything that you're doing and going right. I just need to see what works for me. Um, you know, and I know a lot of people then 
their diet, generally speaking, is the first thing that they start looking at because of the of of obviously awful um weight gain that also can come with menopause. Um, you know, especially being on more medication as well. Yeah, yeah, diet is. I think it's super important. Um. And I've done things like gut resets and, you know, where I've just kind of wanted to strip. I have a real problem with sugar. I'm a mm. chocolate-digestive freak. You know, I could literally devour a packet in one sitting. And I have a relationship with food that if I get stressed, although I did, I, I don't really have that much now since yeah. I looked into it more, but I did have a relationship where I would get stressed and my first thing would be go to the biscuits. So, um, and I think when you're in a, especially after surgery, your body's been through a lot, you're in that kind of rest and recuperate, we do automatically reach for those type of foods. And we do have to kind of listen to our body and enjoy that time too. Um, The biggest thing I think with food with my relationship is still eating the food that I really enjoy, but eating and and just monitoring what I want to eat because I love my body, not because I want to be as skinny as I was before my surgery. Like, I'm not who I was five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always say we're fuller in so many other things. So I think my relationship with food is always going to be kind of, yeah. Um, but I certainly feel my body more because I love it and it's my vessel rather than I have to look like how I looked. Yeah. And I think that is such an important message, Victoria, I think for, um, for everybody listening, um, because I think so many people, so many people like men and women they struggle with you know um body body image and having to look the way that they did um or wanting to look the way that they did before and and we evolve and and that's not always going to be the way yeah yeah absolutely so how did um so obviously you were going through so much yourself how did that affect your relationships then with like your partner everyone else um so my husband we've been together since we were kind of really young so I always say my story is is his story he's like the silent you know backbone to me because um while I'm chatting about it on social media he's just like the one propping me up behind quietly um so he's been he I'm very lucky that he's very understanding he's been there through all the operations I've got two children I've got now two teenagers they weren't both teenagers um when I had my surgery and we've always had a very open and honest conversation you know they've been around me as a mum with endometriosis so they know about periods they know that a woman bleeds they know what endometriosis is um and we we talk about that very openly and have done since they were really little so going into surgery and things like that um, we had to learn as we went along. I think if I had known what was to come, we would have had the conversation, sat down, mum's going to feel like this, you know, me as your wife is going to expect this, you know, this is what we could be up against, because it's important to say not everyone experiences these symptoms. Um, but of course, we were kind of playing catch up because we were playing catch up with depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts. And it was so we had to kind of have the mental health conversation which yes. we don't already had, but suddenly it was really in our homes. Um, and then now we just, um, you know, try and support each other where we can. I mean, I, I was awful to live with 
I, you know, it was hard for them. I'm not going to yeah. shy away from that. I was horrible and, vi- you know, I feel like I was vile at times of, as a mum, as a wife, dismissive. Um, I wanted to escape. I loved them so much, but, you know, my behaviour sometimes didn't didn't show to them in that way. Um, and, of course, that does cause frictions. And, you know, um, but there's a lot of apologising. There's a lot of allowing them to have space when they have their hormonal things going on as well. It's so much bigger than just us. So it's just learning. You know, I definitely don't get it perfect. Um, but we just try and talk openly about it with the kids when they want to listen and yeah. and allow you know space for my husband um but he is you know he is pretty good oh that's so good victoria that you know you ha- you do have that openness um with with the whole family because i don't think that's done enough um in our you know in this day and age yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's so important my daughter potentially you know, may experience endometriosis. I have to, you know, allow her awareness. My my son, you know, his friends will um, be experiencing um, periods and then may experience early menopause, at, you know, POI or an early surgical menopause. You know, it can happen to anybody. So it's really important that we have the honest conversations. They don't always want to hear it. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes they're like, shut up talking about dry vaginas on tiktok you're really embarrassing and i'm like yeah i know but it's a conversation that has to be had and then other times they'll come and say something and i'm like yes it's going in <laughs> so. oh i love that so i mean growing up then victoria did your did your mum or anybody else really speak about menopause like was it something that you were even remotely aware of because I, I certainly wasn't Absolutely not. My mum love her to bits and she will talk about some of the most craziest um, things that probably shouldn't be talked about. But (laughs) she never talked about periods and she never talked about menopause and never, even with me going into surgery, kind of did anyone connect this is going to feel like menopause. So start to compare her own or say, well, obviously it's different, but my menopause felt like this or whatever. I was the youngest of four children. So I was quite young when my mum went through her perimenopause. Um, So yeah, no, there's no, I always say there's no conversational system. You're almost too young for your friends to be talking about it around you and they don't relate. So even when you talk, they're like, yeah, whatever they're catching up now but at the time they they didn't um and that yeah there wasn't kind of that wisdom I I felt like where were the older generation like come on like you could have helped me out a bit um but I think we're breaking that cycle and I definitely see myself as um a person bridging the gap yes the generations that didn't chat because societally they didn't to now our kids literally can learn anything on TikTok so you know we've we've got to kind of break that cycle 100% and talking about breaking cycles um you're a very clever lady because you have um now written a book haven't you have yes (laughs) so um yeah and this really came we talked earlier about journaling and um this really came from me journaling because I'm uh, always writing beforehand um and I've always been 
quite creative with words it was part of my my job and um now being a writer but journaling massively was a game changer for me and there was just something cathartic about writing stuff um and of course when I started to reflect on all the things that I tried um from Reiki to sound healing to the food stuff to spin classes that were not my thing um to practicing self-pleasure um because that's something I had to really connect back in with because there was a lot of trauma there um to just my story and also to to building the gap of the inclusiveness of this conversation because I feel out of the box sometimes Mm -hmm. um I certainly did at that age um so yeah I wrote um my menopause my journal my rules and it incorporates um my memoir but also yeah all the things that I tried loved and loathed but lots of stories from all ages all different um experiences of menopause but the beautiful thing is is that it has a journaling element throughout so Mm. that really the reader's book um it's about them making their own rules um and really empowering them to kind of own this time yeah we talked about earlier with HRT and a lot of the time I was writing this book I was completely out of control of my HRT situation um and I had to work on what I could control and there's so much in our control so we can start to tap into that and um yeah you can take it to the doctors you can advocate you can you can burn the pages like you can rip it out it's super fun and um I'm very proud of it I'm proud that I illustrated it as well all the pictures um you know mean something to the the page that they're on and um yeah I hope it brings something different to the the conversation yeah and it's a it's a book that's aimed at all age groups right all age groups yeah but I think it's it's all age groups I say between because it's quite sweary so I say between 18 um and and beyond it is literally all age groups all women are, are um you know buying it and reading it it's quite amazing um but I just I wanted it to feel particularly inclusive for those people moving up into perimenopause, you know, which my friends are now doing. So they're hitting their forties and women around that age and and below as well, that kind of sometimes feel that the medical books and things like that are maybe a bit overwhelming, important, but maybe overwhelming and they need just something that they can kind of be part of. Yeah. And relate to a little bit more because I think, you know, medical language has, has its place, but um, I always find if it's kind of written, kind of aimed at the everyday person, um, yeah. it's so much more relatable, and you can be like, "Oh yeah," um, and hence the reason why we've got this podcast, you know, um, sharing everyone's journeys, experience, and hopefully taking away bits from from each episode and saying, "Well, I relate to that. This is how this person dealt with it," sort of thing. So, exactly. exactly. I mean, is there any other um, advice then, Victoria, or anything that you'd wish you'd known before entering into menopause? Um, I mean, apart from what symptoms that I, you know, could be coming my way before I entered, um, mm. and I think the ones 
mentioned so often. But I think the advice that I always sort of say is to anybody, whatever your experience or however you're going into menopause is one, find your community. So, um, you know, we are all here on podcasts, you know, in books to pick up and read on social media, um, find the people that you're trying because it's such a supportive community and I certainly wouldn't be anywhere without them and, and it's there for the taking and we've got so much knowledge to share um, just experience and kind of you know holding your hand through it um, so that's kind of one of my top ones but also it's to just remember who you are now because we do look back I always want to be who that person I was um, and it's so important to lean in and once you sort out the body stuff and once you sort out the mind stuff, um, it's then looking at what lights you up and thinking, mm-hmm. what's my new purpose? What's my path? Why? You know, we say, why me? But it's almost like, OK, why not me? Like, this yeah. is, you know, um, because I think that's where we can really find our power and, and find our own fierce, as I like to say. Uh, and that's pretty exciting. It's not always it's not bad. It's not always bad menopause. You know, it's no. great elements, too. Absolutely. There's definitely life at the end. Sorry, light at the end of the tunnel is what I was trying to say. Um, But yeah, it doesn't have to be a negative situation. Like you're saying, you know, there, there is, there's a lot of help out there. um, And, and yeah, it's about just living in this next chapter and, and really, you know, living it and not loathing it. And leaning into leaning into who you are, you know, leaning into your own power. Um, and it takes a conscious decision to say, I am going to do that, you know, because sometimes it's, we want to sit in the mess for a while and that's okay. You know, it's okay to sit in the mess and go, whoa, me, and this is really crap at the moment. And, you know, it's hard and I don't want to get out of bed or I don't want to, you know, when it's at its worst. But there will be a point where you'll be like, okay. I need to step forward now. And, and when you do that, it's so brilliant. Yeah. Lovely, Victoria. Well, we will end our conversation on that amazing high. Um, and I just want to thank you again for joining us on the Menopause Unplugged podcast. You've been a great guest and I'm sure we'll speak again soon. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thank you. Speak soon. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Menopause Unplugged. I hope you find the conversation to be informative, enlightening and empowering. Remember, menopause is a natural part of a woman's life journey, but it doesn't have to be a lonely one. Whether you're experiencing perimenopause or menopause, my menopause coaching programme can provide reassurance and guidance. Please do reach out to me through my contact details on the show description. And until next time, Take care.